Well, good morning, everyone. As was mentioned earlier, we are in the third Sunday of Advent. This week's theme is joy in some traditions. This is called Gaudete or Gaudete Sunday. That's Latin for rejoice. So nobody cares how I say it because no one talks, speaks Latin anymore. Um, And of course, we have a different colored candle, pink, because pink is special. And so we are rejoicing today. Uh, And um, this is also a special day because today is Jason's and my wedding anniversary. And... um, uh, you really should clap for him because I am a handful. That <laughs> uh, I just, if you don't mind, I want to talk to him really quickly. Uh, I wanted to honor you this morning, Jason, in this congregation because you love Jesus so much and your faithfulness to God uh, has been a goodness to our family. It's been a great goodness to me and it's a great goodness to this church. And I love you and I thank you. That said, uh, the last 20 years, if you include our breakup, um, have had some ups and downs. We have communication issues, and working together has sometimes helped that issue, sometimes highlighted it. For instance, when Jason asked if I would be willing to speak on the third Sunday of Advent, I said, well, what, what's the text? And he said, Zachariah. And I could have sworn that I said aloud, oh, good, I've been sitting with the song of Zachariah all summer. This would be great. Um, sure. I don't think I said sure. I said, why do you always ask me? I get so nervous. I don't want to do this. <laughs> um, but let's just pretend I said sure. And um, somewhere along the way, through a moment of passing, I realized that I'm sitting in Luke, and he's talking about Zechariah, the prophet, the minor prophet, who I've never read before, at least all, not, definitely not all the way through. And he's like, I sent you the email. I sent all the speakers an email. And I'm like, well, I saw it said Zechariah 10. I thought that was weird. I just thought you meant like verse 10 of the story of Zechariah. He's like, it was, did you open the attachment? I'm like, no, because we already talked about it. So I already had 60% of the sermon written before we had to figure out something else. So um, which Zechariah do you think we're going to talk about today? <laughs> We're going to do both because love wins. So <laughs> we're going to start with um, Jason's Zachariah, Zachariah the prophet. We've been in Zachariah for the fa- past few weeks of Advent. Zachariah prophesied to the congregation of God's people during the time after the exile, and he mainly spoke through eight visions or dreams that were interpreted to the congregation. And part of the reason why hardly anyone reads Zechariah is because those visions are crazy. (laughs) If that is what the Daniel diet gets you, I will stick with my late night pizza. Thank you very much. These dreams and the words of the prophet to the people served the purpose of letting the people know, even though you've been far from God, God is bringing you back and still wants to talk to you still wants a relationship with you. He does remind, Zechariah does remind the people why they were scattered in the first place. God had sent people to warn them that, hey, the way you're going is gonna get you into trouble, and it did. Um, And he reminds them, turn your hearts back to God because here you are in your homeland and God is sending his assurance of his heart 
toward you, people. And unlike Amos and some of the other prophets whose main message is a warning of impending doom if they keep going the way they're going, Zechariah's visions are meant to stir up great hope and joy and faithfulness among the people as they rebuild their community. God uh, in these visions shows that he is a warrior and a redeemer, and he promises to strengthen them, to have compassion on them, to deliver them. They're not to trust in their own economic growth or in their own military force, but they're supposed to trust in the spirit of God who is regenerating life and vision and hope for the people through some anointed and and purified leaders in their midst. Um, Someone who's from the line of David, who was their favorite king in the past, and they had hope in the line of David. Uh, hope for their own flourishing. So yes, this is a good Advent passage. And I apologize for yelling at you that you should have chosen Isaiah. (laughs) Um, We read in Zechariah 10 that Jason mentioned to me earlier in verse six that that God says through uh, one of these visions, I will strengthen the house of Judah. This was our reading earlier, but I wanna read it again. I will strengthen the house of Judah and deliver the house of Joseph. I will bring them back because I have compassion on them. They will be as though I hadn't rejected them, for I am the Lord their God. I will respond to them. Maybe someone in here needs to hear that word today. That God is having compassion on you you are not rejected and the Lord will respond to you. The prophet tells the people that they're gonna have joy as things are set right in a coming messianic kingdom, Messiah meaning the saving one. In verses seven through nine, the prophet says, Ephraim, another word here for God's people, will be like a warrior. They will be glad as if they're drinking wine. Their children will watch them and be glad. Their hearts will rejoice in the Lord. Like a shepherd, I will whistle for them and gather them because I have ransomed them. They will be as numerous as they were previously. There's a restoration happening here. Though I sowed them among the peoples, they will remember me in the distant places where they were living with their children until they return. And we heard last week in Jason's sermon about peace that God promised that joy would be a part of that peace, that God was gonna send them a king who would be victorious against their enemies and would turn around their situation, who would bring what they had desired for so long. This is uh, Zechariah 9, 9 that we read last week. Rejoice greatly, O daughter Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter Jerusalem. For lo, look, your king comes to you, triumphant and victorious is he, humble, riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of the donkey. So as the people hear these visions and their interpretations from Zechariah, they begin to really hang on to what he's saying once they realize he's not just bringing more doom and gloom. And essentially they ask probably what any of us would ask, which is, so can we stop grieving now? Is our desire being fulfilled? Is God's kingdom coming soon? 
And Zachariah does an interesting thing here. First, he reminds them how hard it's been for them to remain faithful to God, but how faithfulness to the covenant, pursuing peace and justice are their part in the coming of the messianic kingdom. And then he basically turns the question back to the people. Will you be the kind of people who are ready for the kingdom of God when it comes? Are you the kind of people who will be ready for the kingdom of God when it comes? In other words, you have all these desires for victory and for salvation, for peace and security, but will you be ready to participate with God when your salvation comes? When your joy is here? Will you be ready to receive the kingdom or will you be busy looking somewhere else for it? So as it turns out, this question is actually the perfect bridge to my Zachariah, who we meet, uh, Zachariah the priest, in the Gospel of Luke, the first chapter, um, beginning in verse 5. In the days of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah, probably named after the first one, who belonged to the priestly order of Abijah. So he's a priest, and his wife was a descendant of Aaron, who's also a priest. Her name was Elizabeth. Both of them were righteous before God, living blamelessly according to all the commandments and regulations of the Lord. But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren. And now both of them were getting on in years. Once, when Zechariah was serving as priest before God and his section was on duty, his section was on duty probably twice a year, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and offer incense. So this was a special day for him rare. Now at the time of the incense offering, the whole assembly of the people was praying outside. And then there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing at the right side of the altar of incense. Here is a rendition of that that I drew. No, I did draw it. It's from the 1800s. <laughs> um, real artists are like, don't joke about that. <laughs> Um, and when Zachariah saw him, saw the angel, he was terrified and fear overwhelmed him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zachariah, for your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son and you will name him John. You are going to have joy and gladness. And many actually are going to rejoice at his birth because he is going to be great in the sight of the Lord. He needs to be set apart. He must never drink wine or strong drink because even before his birth, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit. He will turn many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. With the spirit and power of Elijah, and these words would have clued Zechariah into prophecy to Elijah. We have been waiting for the Messiah to come. 
the angel says, with the spirit and power of Elijah, he will go before him. He will go before the promised one to turn the hearts of parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. This harkens back to the first Zechariah. Will you be ready when the kingdom of God comes? Zechariah is promised that his son is gonna help make people ready. So how does Zechariah respond? He says to the angel, how do I know that this is so? For I am an old man and my wife is getting on in years. How dare he also? (laughs) The angel replied, and I picture this rising up, this being rising up to full stature. I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. I have been sent to you to speak to you and to bring you good news. But now, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time, you're gonna become mute, unable to speak until the day that these things occur. Meanwhile, the people were outside waiting for Zechariah. He seemed to be delaying. They were wondering what is going on. And when he came out, and couldn't speak. They realized he'd seen a vision in the sanctuary. He tried to communicate with him. Didn't go well. When the time of his service ended, he went home. Now we often fast forward in Luke to the part of the story where John is born and, and Zachariah's muteness ends with him breaking forth into song, finally declaring his joy and what God is doing in the world and what he's doing in his own life. I want to go back to the spot where he is conversing with the angel in the temple. I want to linger here and consider why? Why was Zechariah unable to receive the joy of the angel's news? Here was someone who had waited all of his, at least his adult life, for two things. First of all, the coming of the Messiah, which his people had been waiting on for hundreds of years. But he, as a priest, should have been expecting it more than anyone, especially someone who's going before the presence of the Lord in the temple. So he's waiting for the coming of the Messiah, and he was waiting for a child. And both of these things are given to him in the same instant. And we read that Zechariah was terrified and full of fear. At the sight of the angel, fair enough. But after the words of joy and promise are spoken to him, he is still unable to receive them. How will this be so? This is different than what we see in the conversation between that same angel and Mary at another time where she's like, Um, how does that work if I'm a virgin? Is that okay? (laughs) This is more like, how do I know that that's true? He got the sign that he was asking for. How can this be proved? I I don't know if I can believe this. And it's no wonder the angel responds as he does. What happened to Zachariah in all those years of waiting? I'm so curious. How could he have been so blind 
to the goodness of that moment. It says that he, was, that he and Elizabeth both were seen as righteous before the Lord. They were doing all of the right things. But what was going on in his own heart? Where, where had his gaze shifted to? Such that when this moment comes to him, instead of at least curiosity and openness, there's disbelief. What, what was he wanting in that moment? Where exactly was he expecting to find joy if he couldn't find it there? So I ask again, because of the challenge of our first Zachariah and the challenge is of our second Zachariah here, are we the kind of people who will be able to receive joy when it comes to us? Are we the kind of people who will be able to receive joy when it comes to us? And perhaps before we can answer this question, we need to know what we're talking about. What is joy? How do we know it when we see it? I like this definition. Joy is the pleasure that comes from desires fulfilled or the prospect of our desires being fulfilled. So it's joy is the pleasure that comes from getting what we want or thinking we're about to get what we want or we surely will get what we want. For example, I have heard tale of two grown Christian men leaping into each other's arms when their Seattle Seahawks got a touchdown, Jay Benson and (laughs) Troy Bass. Is this joy? Is this what joy is? Yes, he says. (laughs) And likewise, or on the other hand, I have seen an otherwise wonderful child pout in disappointment for the majority of a Christmas day because the massive dollhouse that her father stayed up till three in the morning putting together was different than what her sisters received. It was bigger, it was more expensive, but it wasn't what she was wanting. What does this experience tell us about joy? There's something about getting what we want that fills us with gladness. And there's something about not getting what we hope for that brings us disappointment and sorrow right? Now, you may or may not know that joy is a key theme in the story of God. There are so many references to joy in scripture, hundreds, and we're going to go through every single one of them right now. (laughs) No. Uh, no. Um, And joy in scripture really is about the feeling or the experience of delight and pleasure. There's no trick to the original language like, well, joy is actually the root of the Greek word for Hawaii. Like it's, it really just means I feel pleasure. <laughs> and, and joy is described, the joy that's described in the people of God really is that pleasure of having what they want, of getting their desires fulfilled. But friends, here, here is where we need to pause Because the story of humanity is that we both as a group and then individually and personally, we've greatly struggled with what we want. Our experience of joy is so often incomplete because it's it's attached to our fleeting desires and our changing circumstances. This 
this will make my life secure. No, 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 this, this, this is what will make me the most glad. When I finally have this, I'll finally be happy. So what we are into changes and who we enjoy can change. How satisfied we are with life is very shifty. And even when we get what we want, sometimes our joy is eventually affected by the cost of that thing or the side effects of that thing or the inherent imperfections of that person or the thing we've been wanting. Or sometimes we had joy, but then the circumstances changed and it's gone again. So we have to find something else to hope for or desire. Now, the only exception that I have seen to this is my dog because I waited 17 years for Jason to be okay with me getting a dog and she is everything I ever wanted and she is so cute and she is so adorable and I regret nothing and she will live forever. So that is an exception to the rule that I'm talking about. But there is one whose desire has never changed from the beginning of time. The story of joy begins with the creator God who has joy, who delights in the wonderful that is nature and people. It's so good. And God wants to share it. So he gives us joy by putting us into a place of perfect relationships and beauty. And he lives with us. It's our love that turns away to something else. We read in the story of Eve and of Adam that she saw the fruit, she saw something desirable about it. I need that. It was desirable for wisdom. She had wisdom living in her midst. But if I could just have that, But God's desire for intimacy with us never changed. It didn't even change in that moment. It was still God's greatest desire, greatest joy to be with us. So even after sorrow and death entered the world, it's a mystery, but God still offered joy. He offered himself. I I still desire you. We can still be together. Please let me help you. Let me be your desire. God even seems to bless the the comforts and the gladnesses of our everyday and even sometimes mundane life. Like saying, these are hints actually of the kind of joy that I have, that you can have in my presence. And every time the people got a taste of that, they still wanted something else. God kept trying to come to them to hone that desire into what it should be. And all the while, God's intention and desire stayed the same. And it was the people's desires and intentions that ebbed and flowed with their circumstances and surroundings. Sometimes the people wanted God and sometimes they didn't. So finally, We read in Zechariah, after all these years of the promises and the asks and the mess ups, the fullness of joy arrives with the birth of Jesus. 
God has become a person. God is here. God is with us, finally. And the people still wanted someone else. But God keeps holding on to joy. Jesus tells us about the father's joy when he tells the story of a widow who had lost a coin. It was very important to her because it was all that she had to live on. And she searched and searched and she found that coin and she rejoiced and she went around to her friends saying, look, I found it. And he tells the story of a shepherd who had many sheep, but one was lost. And so the shepherd went after that sheep and when he had found it, he rejoiced and told the whole community, I'm so happy I have this lost one back. And Jesus says, that's that's God's joy. That's the father's joy. And he tells the story of a father father whose son rejected him, but the father waited and waited and longed for the son to come home. And when the son finally did, the father pulled up his tunic and ran to him and hugged him and he threw a party, open invitation to all, come be with me in my joy. And the other son is outside pouting because that's not what he wanted. In the gospels, we see that Jesus stresses and and agonizes over his mission, over his ministry, because he knows that he is gonna hurt. He is going to suffer. Why did he do it? Why did he go through with it? Hebrews 12.2 tells us why, because it was the joy set before him is why he endured the suffering of death on a cross and the shame of it. Because he knew that he would get what he wanted by doing this, us. That we were his one desire and he, we are worth dying for. That we are worth giving up everything that he had through coming to us, through dying for us and then through coming to life again and then sending his spirit so we would never have to be alone again. What Jesus knew was this is how I can show them where joy is. They are so loved. They're so wanted. And in our best moments, by God's grace, we get this. Something deep in our hearts in certain moments of our life says, like the psalmist in Psalm 16, God, you really do have it all. You really do show me the path of life. In your presence is where I can find the best and most full joy. In your right hand are pleasures forevermore. But in our humanness, in in our worst moments, in our weaknesses, our hearts say, it's not enough. There's, there's something else that I want more. And we look around at the things we don't have and, and many of those things are so, so good. And we ask, when are you gonna come to us? When are you gonna bring joy? Because this isn't it. And in all this, friends, please, please don't hear me saying that we shouldn't have desire or that we shouldn't grieve when we can't have something that we want. I know that in this room, 
that some of you, beloved, have been waiting for healing for a long time. I know that some of you are waiting for a home, that some of you are waiting for a family. I know that some of you are, are longing for friendship, to feel truly known and loved. Each of us has in our heart places of desires unfulfilled that we, that we carry with us. So I'm not saying that we, we shouldn't have desire. That's not true. God wants us to have joy. It, it's just that we sometimes in that waiting or in that longing, we forget that the story of God is a story of joy. It's a story of God's joy, of God's desire, of God's heartache for us, of God's great pleasure in us. You are so loved. You are so wanted. God wants us to have joy. But I think we forget that God wants to have joy with us. Joy is coming, church. And joy is also here. God is coming to us, and God is already here. So if we don't look for God here, in this current circumstance of our lives, where else do we really expect to find him? And if we cannot receive the joy that is already here in this world now with God, how will we be able to receive the joy that is coming? As we transition to the table, I invite the worship team to, to come now, get ready to lead us. But I wanna invite you to hold a question in your hearts and minds as you come to the table today, but I would also invite you maybe to take it into the rest of Advent with you as a way of preparing yourself for Christmas morning and the reality that that represents. It was 12 days of feasting, actually. The question is this, Jesus, how are you making me ready to receive joy? Jesus, how are you making me, making us ready to receive joy? How are you coming to me through my desires? How can I find you here and now? If you're willing, you may even want to go a little further with that question. Jesus, how can you shape my desires toward you? Or even this one, which is such a great risk. But Jesus, will you make me willing to receive you?
Jesus, as we come to the table, I'm asking for your spirit to do a miracle here, to pour out your love and your joy on us in such a way that our hearts cry out with great longing for you. You have come to us, you are here, and we receive you now. Part of the preparation to receive whatever God has for us has always been repentance. It's been a telling of the truth about our own selves and our own lives and the ways that we look for what God has for us in places other than him. And so from the prophets through John, who all are preparing a way for the Lord, they call us to repent. And so we're gonna do that here in just a moment. We're going to confess our sin before God and meet his forgiveness, his love, his joy once again. But I wanna let you know first that this is Jesus's table. So all who believe in Jesus are welcome to receive here this morning, regardless of your church background or affiliation. If you don't believe as we believe, if you're not sure still about Jesus and who he says he is and what it means to follow his teachings, thanks for coming and spending a Sunday morning with us. We're really honored that you're here. We wanna encourage you to keep coming, keep asking questions, keep singing and praying and asking Jesus to reveal himself to you. However, this morning, if you are willing to do that, if you're at a place of saying, I do believe and I'm asking Jesus to help me with the pieces that don't make sense yet. If you're ready to receive him and to follow his teachings, then we invite you to join us in this moment of confessing sin, receiving forgiveness and placing our trust in him. Let's say this prayer together. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us and that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. Friends, it's my joy to announce good news to you this morning. Words that are true, not because I say them, but because of what God has done. So would you open up your hands and receive once again the mercy of God. For the joy set before him, Jesus Christ endured the cross and scorned its shame. For the joy set before him, Jesus died for us while we were yet sinners. And this proves God's love toward us and his delight in us. So in the name of Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. The peace of the Lord be with you. And as those who have been raised to new life with Jesus, would you please stand and share the peace and love and joy that you have in Christ with one another for just a few moments today.